So this week kind of felt like it was uh, one of those weeks. One of those weeks where every day there seemed to be something else. Something else terrible in the news. Uh, starting, you know, Monday's my day off, and so I came in on Tuesday um, not having known what happened over the weekend and hearing about what happened in the dorms here last weekend. Um, these incidents of what appear to be racism. These incidents that seem to have some lack of accountability, or at least as far as we know, hasn't been really shared that well, what exactly the administration's doing. And maybe that's for good reason. Maybe they should keep disciplinary matters private. But that doesn't make it any less, any less uneasy. I mean, it seems to me that the university and the student body as a whole, not to say there aren't individuals within either that would maybe not fit this, but I, th I feel like this campus and the administration as a whole are against such things, that they want to work for racial reconciliation. I feel like that's something they would at least aspire to, if not able to actually carry that out very well. And yet somehow there is this disconnect. This uh, disconnect that seems to be bigger than also just this one set of incidents that happened last weekend. Bigger than just the students that were involved in that. And not just around race, but around a number of issues. A number of different groups around campus who have had issues from time to time where they have had this place feel like less than a safe place that a college campus should be. A safe place where all of us have the ability to come and learn and grow and develop as people and gain education. That's what a college campus should be, but somehow it seems like there's been incidences over the last few years that have left the trust between the administration and the student body not entirely there. And so we began last week, I began last week, with hearing of this here. And then there were so many things in the broader world as well. There was the Skittles, which on its face value seems kind of trivial, right? Okay, so one of the candidates' son made this tweet about Skittles and whether you would eat them or not, and that doesn't seem like such a bad thing. It's whatever, you know, people make things that are not great all the time, but something about that just really bothered me because we're not talking about Skittles. What he was talking about was people's lives. And the choice of eating a Skittle is something, well, I can take or leave any Skittles, regardless of whether there's any poisoned ones. But I think I have a problem with lives that are in danger and sitting by and doing nothing when I live in the wealthiest nation in the world, which has whole sections of the nation that are undeveloped, where we have communities that could take in refugees. And yet our response is, but some of them might be bad, so why risk it? And then, of course, there was Tulsa and Charlotte. There was 
Terence Crusher and Keith Scott, who are dead this week. African-American men dead at the hands of police. And setting aside any of the details of this case, of these cases, what we have here seems to be another in a string of what seems to be an excessive use of force by police. And compounding that, and this is the part that I've shared with some of you that I just have trouble wrapping my head around, is that a terrorist who planted bombs in New York City last Sunday was, and actually shot at officers, injuring two, is alive right now. The guy who planted bombs in New York City last weekend is alive. He's in the hospital. He's, he was shot by police as well, but he didn't die. A man who, well, we should say suspected terrorists because nothing's been proven yet, but they're pretty sure they have their person. There's video footage of him dropping the bombs. He's alive. Regardless of the facts, these two African-American men who, as far as we know, were not committing any direct crimes at the time they were approached by cops. In fact, one of them, in one situation, the cop who had shot the individual, uh, Mr., uh, Mr. Crutcher, he, she has actually been brought up on charges of manslaughter. How does this keep happening? Regardless of race, how does this keep happening? Why are police shooting citizens? And why does it seem to happen disproportionately to African-American men? And just, just for, you know, giggles, let's throw in the fun of the presidential election probably one of the more contentious presidential elections we've ever had, and we've had some pretty bad ones. If you go back in history, outside of the modern era, we had some pretty nasty elections, and this is up there with, with one of the most contentious ones we've ever had. It seems like every day that we find a way to just dig deeper. Rather than the presidential election being the lifting up of the one who can lead the nation, who is being lifted up as the moral example, we have candidates who seem to repeatedly tear each other down. It seems particularly ugly as we get close to tomorrow night's debate. If you don't know the name Jennifer Flowers, that's kind of, I don't know what I, how to put that into words. Why is this coming up in this presidential election? Because it certainly isn't raising the bar. Why does it seem this election cycle is seeing how low can we lower the bar? How deep can we jump, as someone said today on the news, how deep can we jump into the sewer and swim? That's, that's been this week. And that's only a few things. I've, 
highlighted probably the biggest news stories of the week. There's so many other things going on in our world. There's still a really terrible civil war going on in Syria. There's conflict and violence. There are people plotting against other people. Government-sanctioned assassinations, plots to overthrow, strife, greed. I don't know. I, I used to want to really believe that we were getting better as, as a people. Like, as time progressed, we got better, but I don't know. I just... It's not feeling that way. I have my doubts that we as people are getting better. Because I feel like lately we're just trying to find more and new and more creative ways to tear ourselves apart. And I really don't have the foggiest idea how we're going to swap this momentum. How can we send it in the other direction? What can we do that can stop this? Even if we're not moving forward, how can we stop from moving backwards? Well, in a, a funny kind of way, what I was planning to talk about tonight was not this stuff. I was going to talk about extravagant giving. Uh, this is what I planned way back in the summer when I was planning the whole arc of the sermon series. And I didn't know entirely how I was going to preach about that. And then I opened one of my commentaries. And the very first one I read, and this is normally when it's God saying something to me and something I should pay attention to, because the very first one op when I open and read, it says that there is this idea in our text this evening that tells us to grab hold, to seize, to grasp to catch true and eternal life. Paul twice uses this Greek word that is uh, uh, epilambanamo, nama. I didn't take Greek in seminary. Uh, this, this word that literally means to grab hold of, to seize, to grasp, to catch, to take by force if necessary. And he says to Timothy, his young disciple, that we should, he should take, he should grab hold of, to seize this eternal life and this true life. He's teaching Timothy about what he's to do in his ministry. And to unpack those terms a little bit, uh, the eternal life is not just what is to come. Karl Barth, who was a very well-known 20th century theologian, argued that eternal life is now. He argued that Jesus proclaimed that the kingdom of God is at hand, and so that means the kingdom of God is now. And so eternal life stretches from before time all the way to the end of time and beyond. And it's not something we're just waiting for or hoping will come, but instead is something that Jesus has brought into our midst. That is the eternal life that we are talking about. So we're to seize hold of this eternal life that is already here. 
And then there's this true life, this real life. It's something that Paul contrasts with destructive life. He specifically mentions uh, what we talked about last week when I talked about the pursuit of wealth and how that can be destructive uh, as the source of this destructive life. But I would add that there might be more. And maybe it's not just when we're pursuing wealth, but when we're pursuing anything that puts self over others, those things that take away from our relationship with God and with others, any of those things that tear down instead of build up others and build up ourselves and build up our relationship with God. These are the things that are destructive to us. And so instead, Paul is calling us to live this true life and to fight the good fight. He's calling us to take up the prayer of Amos 5.24, which says, But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And then after we've prayed that prayer, to take action. That we should be praying for peace. And prayer is an important part of our faith. But so is action. We pray and we do. Because justice doesn't just happen most of the time. It happens when we make it happen. When we grab a hold of God's gifts and responsibility to be co-creators with God. When we are not waiting, but we step out in faith and boldly give ourselves to God's justice and righteousness. And it's not to give just the minimum, but to give extravagantly as much as we are able, which for each of us is going to look different, because what my most is is not your most, and your most isn't my most. And also, to be clear, we're not just talking about giving money here. I know we talk a lot about, when we think about giving, we think about giving money. We're talking about all of ourselves. In the UMC, when we take our membership vows, we pledge our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And part of our gifts is giving to the church and to the mission of the church. But we're also giving our prayers and our presence and our service and our our witness. And so a tithing is not just 10% of my income and putting that in the offering plate and saying that's good, but actually 10% of myself and even more as I'm able. A tithe is giving of myself to this thing that we commit ourselves to. Now, I want to give you two examples of how this might look. Um, one is going back to that Skittles reference that I had in the beginning of the service because I saw a response that just really rang true for me. Uh, you may have seen it because it went around Facebook. Uh, I cleaned it up a little bit because we're in church uh, and there's little ears around. <laughs> this person said that if uh, the Skittles equal lives, then I would gorge myself on Skittles. I would eat every single Skittle I could find. I would stuff myself with Skittles. And when I found the poison Skittle, 
and died, I would make sure to leave behind a legacy of children and friends who also ate Skittle after Skittle until there were no more Skittles to be eaten. And each person who found the poison Skittle, we would weep for. We would weep for their loss, for their sacrifice, and for the fact that they did not let themselves succumb to fear, but made the world a better place by eating Skittles. Giving our whole lives to say these people are people and of value. And I can't not help others because I'm afraid that some might be bad. The second comes from uh, something I actually heard this morning after church in the UMW meeting. Uh, it's from a woman who runs something called the DC Diaper Bank. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but she's got a really incredible story that she tells of how this DC Diaper Bank came about. The DC Diaper Bank is pretty much what it sounds like. They collect diapers and feminine hygiene products and they distribute them. They get them out to social service agencies so that those who can't afford these items that some consider luxury items can have them or at least can supplement them so that they have enough to get through the month. But how this all came about is that she was pregnant and then gave birth. And her baby is what she calls, or was what she called a very challenging baby. He was colicky, he was restless, he was, had a lot of needs. And at one point she became so stressed out that she had to hand her son off to her husband and she went and cried. And that got her to thinking about how it must be for those who don't have that support network. For those who don't have the family and friends to gather around and when the day is long and you just need a minute, how do they get by? And so she started looking into, what can I do? How can I help out those in need? Because I know there are those who need that. And what she found is there were a lot of services for a lot of different things for new mothers. But one of the things that there wasn't was diapers. Now I'm imagining that none of you have bought diapers recently, but uh, she shared with us today that on average a single diaper cost about 75 cents per diaper. And if you've ever babysat for even a little bit, you know babies can go through five, six, eight diapers in a day. Now multiply that times 30. Multiply that times what it cost to go and get all those diapers. Start thinking about all of the things that you need to buy diapers. And then think about you have to buy formula and probably have to have childcare and all of a sudden the expenses start compounding. Having a child is very very expensive. Oh, and if you don't have diapers, you can have trouble at daycare. This service that she set up is as simple as trying to help those who need have diapers. 
It's a simple thing. And the way she started it is she opened up her basement and started collecting diapers and reaching out to groups and uh, social service agencies that could distribute them for her. And over time, it began to grow and grow and grow. So she founded this in 2010 in her basement. Uh, and then they moved from there to the Capital Area Food Bank and from there to a 3,000 square foot warehouse. And then just this past year, they moved into a 6,000 square foot warehouse. And they're now giving out millions of diapers a year. Millions of diapers a year. And feminine hygiene products that are very much needed. And all she did was start it in her basement and start collecting things. And she's literally changing lives. Because where you can save $30 on diapers, you might be able to take the bus and go to a job interview. You might be able to get someplace that you need to go. It's one less thing you have to worry about. That's changing lives. It's looking at in a system of poverty and saying, how can we help those who are in it get out? And to be fair, this thing she did, which is a huge operation now, started as simple as collecting diapers and giving them away. Now, I'm not saying that all of you should go out and found your own nonprofits right now. Though, maybe one of you, maybe more of you will do that someday. Maybe some of you will do that tomorrow because you don't have to wait till you graduate college to begin making a difference. And it's not that I want you to take all of your free time when you're not in class and studying and doing homework to suddenly go and do everything uh, to fight against injustice. Though if you wanted to do that, that's not a terrible thing. Instead, I'm asking you to find your passions. Frederick Buechner said that the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the, deep, the world's deep hunger meet. Find your passion. Find that place where you are excited. That's something that is interesting to you. And see how you can meet the needs of the world. You never know how the smallest thing can grow into something that changes lots of lives. And you never know how the smallest thing can change one life. And that's just as good as changing lots of lives. God is calling us to fight the good fight. Paul tells us to grab hold, to take by force if necessary, because the world's not going to change on its own. When we have a week like we had last week, which we inevitably will have again, we have to look for the injustices and grab hold of the opportunities to make them right. To take 
and be extravagantly and generously giving of ourselves to be co-creators with God, to fight the good fight and seek justice and righteousness always. Amen.